Hi, I am Sophie Vaux, and this is the Rise and Play podcast. In this new series, I am focusing on portraits of women who have an outstanding career in games. How did they get into games? How did they reach their high position and career? What have been their personal and career choices to get to the level, and why? I want to bring more light to the wide range of career paths available for women in leadership positions in the industry and to inspire you to dream big for your life and career too. Let's begin. Today, I'm super excited to have Devon with me. So to tell more about Devon, so Devon Willen has always been drawn to building heartfelt experiences that captivate everyday people and result in long-term value. During her 15-year career, including working at Big Fish Games and GSN Games, she has explored the capabilities of UX research and UX design methods within free-to-play mobile game development, resulting in engagement-boosting gameplay optimization while supercharging her team's efficiency by aligning the team around the needs of her target audience. Devon is committed to the well-being of players, which is what drew her to Solston, where she's leading the design of services which empower companies to craft solutions that fully resonate with people. So hi, Devon. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much, Sophie, for including me in this podcast. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you. You are our first guest to readdress the topic of UX. I want to represent the several crafts in gaming. I find UX particularly puzzling from my own experience. So I'm very excited to go a bit in depth on the topic today with you. So my first question before we go really nerd about UX is what are you working on these days or even personal project that you're the most excited about? So what I'm really excited about working on right now is the core of our product. So something that we've been really learning about the last three years from user engagement. And we've had a lot of really, really great feedback that we're using as the core for optimizing our product. And to speak to what the core is of our product, that's where we're providing a solution for game teams to deeply understand what the needs of their audience is, what the needs of their players are. So what that means is their personality traits like you know motivations, what are their values, what are their emotions that they feel before entering the game experience, what is the competitiveness and cooperation that they're interested in. So what this tool really does is it informs game teams on how do they reduce churn and increase LTV in such a way that's healthy and sustainable for their players. And this next version of it is really going to incorporate all those features that I really wish I had as game designer, which is an opportunity to see like what features are going to really resonate with those players or what art style, what are the elements and themes that if I'm coming up with a new game, a new idea, I'll actually see if that new idea is going to resonate with that audience before I even start in development. That's also uh, super exciting for me. It's only in the recent years that I've been focused more on target audience. And as far as I know and understood, we were looking at it really from a very demographic level where people live, the country, uh, the city, even like age, uh, gender. And I think that's as far as we could go. And sometimes with Facebook, we could look into affinity, but I don't even know how it's reliable, like what people like, their hobbies, their interests and the TV shows. So... My question is, as we were using that a lot in the past to make design decisions in the games and what we think will resonate with players, what is the main problem that you see in the industry, how we approach games that Solstens has tried to address? 
Yeah, that's a great question. This is something that we're seeing quite frequently within the industry that, as you mentioned, behavior data and demographics are typically those key areas that we're looking at. That's the really great thing with games is that there is a ton of behavior data. The challenge with that is that we start then focusing very much on what level did they accomplish. And if we start breaking those down into archetypes or even persona groups or player groups, we look at that from a behavior or a a demographics perspective. So we're thinking about it as 55-year-old mom from the Midwest in the United States, or we're looking at a 25-year-old male that's maybe interested in shooter games. And that's what we're trying to design to, which... That's a great starting point. But if you look at your mom versus you know, a friend's mom, what are the games that they're playing? It's likely very different. Or what are their hobbies? Maybe one's a cook and maybe one is you know, out playing tennis. They're very different individuals. And that's just on an interest level. If you start going deeper, like where did they grow up? What were the influences of their culture as they were growing up? Looking at kind of what are their motivations and what led them to where they are in their careers. A lot of that plays into the decisions that you would make within a gameplay experience as well. Uh, you go quite in depth, actually, of a more like a psychological motivation. You know, why do you do what you do and so on? And the same way for a player, there are many things that are much deeper that can drive your motivation to do certain things. And that's interesting. But I think even more... Um, at least tangible than these high-level stereotypes that we have uh, worked with so far. My other question is like, as you have been like also in the growth of a company, uh, Sosten, and trying to evangelize in a way more the use of proper user research in uh, game development, game design. Can you tell us more as well, if you have been involved in that, like what were the early days and the type of feedback or reaction you had to the product? And maybe a few years after, it's been like now, now three years, if things have evolved and changed and in which way? Yeah, so very early on at Solston, I think this is a, it was a great kind of transition between the gaming industry and coming in and starting to build a startup because we have very few people on the team. We did have to build a prototype very quickly to get out and start testing with customers just to see if there was product market fit. But before that, we were fortunate in bringing in a lot of our own industry experience and background in psychology, human factors, and ingesting that into our product experience at that point. So when it comes to UX research, very early on, because we were only a few individuals within the studio, oftentimes that was going to one or two customers and trying to test with them. Or we were in a co-working space and I was just going to people at Spotify that were also in that co-working space and saying like, hey, does this make sense to you? And just trying to get it from just a human being perspective of can they actually use this experience and understand it. That's a far cry from where we are today, three and a half years later where we now have a full product suite and we're now at this point where we can test the information architecture and go through and do card sorting exercises and see where do people lean when they're trying to find specific information within our platform. Or if we're coming up with new hypotheses for you know this tool that I was talking about at the beginning where we know what the traits experience looks like right now, which you can deep dive into what each of the psychological traits mean and how do you apply that to your game? What are different mechanic recommendations for that? Does that make sense for all of our customers? Maybe not. And through some of the interviews that we've had with our customers, it's maybe a little bit too complex. You know, Some users want to be told exactly what to do, while we're also learning that some users want to have that opportunity to deep dive and have more of that strategic thinking where they can pull it apart a little bit more and think through things on their own. So even just those two different types of users, we now have to think about what is the design solution to support 
those needs. And that's where we come up with different wireframe hypotheses and we start testing out different user flows and having prototypes of each of those flows and use that and actually test those with our customers to get some real feedback there before we start on development. So as I was listening to you, I got into really meta thinking because you are building a product to help developers to have a better understanding of their audience. So going really in depth for different player profiles or users and uh, yeah, based on that, craft the experience. And with a product where I would say the industry is quite wide with developers and we don't have all the same knowledge, understanding, or even expectation of how we should use user research, uh, part of a process of design. So are you crafting kind of a product experience based on different type of clients, partner you have identified or groups, or is it too early to even go that much in depth? So what we're thinking about in that case where we're trying to solve different users' needs with the same platform, that's something that is very different from games versus a service platform like our product. But if we really strip things back, games are a service in some ways as well. So we can apply a lot of that same understanding of how do you design a solution to different types of individuals. So with that said, we do have different products for different individuals based on what their goals are. So we have a product which we call Frequency that's really helping creatives understand what type of visual asset is most going to resonate with their audience. So that's really targeted more towards people that are on the marketing side or maybe it's an artist or it's you know in the creative space. And you know we're trying to limit our users and provide a tool that's really optimized for their needs. And maybe we have two different ways to see the same tool so that they can actually accomplish their goal based on what we know about those individuals. And then with traits, for example, which is this product that you can deep dive into those psychological traits, that's where we're thinking about who are the main users that are also engaging that and what are their primary pain points? What are the things that they're trying to accomplish every day? And trying to keep that as simple as possible. But then if someone wants to dive into depth on something, that's where you start using things like progressive disclosure, where you now give them an option to expand something, dive deeper if they want to. But if they choose to just take that action that we're saying, hey, do this in your game, they have that opportunity as well. So let's take a little step back as well, more on your position at Solston as the UX leader. Can you tell me more about... What is your role on this position? What is your mission at Solston? Do you have people like main partners or a team to support you in this mission? Really, the essence of UX design at Solston is we're ensuring that the end-to-end user experience is as optimized and it meets the user's needs as much as possible and ideally exceeds the user's expectations while also considering what is the company vision, what are the business values that need to be met or the business objectives that need to be met and making sure that those are also taken into account when we're designing solutions for that. Where I fit within that, I'm leading those efforts at this point in time. And then as we continue to build out our team, we're thinking about having a UX lead per product vertical so that we can really have someone that's thinking about what are the user needs every single day for those specific use cases. So they really know those marketing and creative users. They really know the game designers and producers. So they know how to best meet the needs for each of the product verticals. From there, our closest collaboration is UX research. We are starting to build out a specific discipline within our company for UX research. So again, they can really own their craft. We're also building out a UI visual design team as well. Again, allowing them to own their craft and really think about what does 
coming into the experience feel like from a brand perspective and making sure that components are consistent across our platform. And when you go from one product vertical to another, those feel the same as well. So they can really just focus on kind of optimizing it and leveling up what does the experience look and feel like as well. You touched on several parts that I want to follow up on, especially in terms of craft. So as you described your position, there are several partners or departments that you mentioned, like UI, UX research. So how would you differentiate what a UX designer does, what is focus compared to a UI designer, and also a UX researcher, or is it even different than what we call a user researcher? Can you give more of a summary of all these positions and roles? I think this is something that we're starting to see quite a bit, not only within the gaming industry, but across the industry as a whole. We're seeing a lot of titles like UX UI designer, and then just a ton of variations on what that name is, depending on really what people want or what they, what they think that role is going to entail. So if we just break it down to the basics, if we think about UX and piece that apart, we have U, which is the user, which is typically a human being. And then we have X as the experience. They need to understand who is the human being and then craft or architect that experience that solves those human being problems or issues or whatever those goals are for that individual. So if we take that step back and we start thinking about, okay, well, what is UX research? What is UX design? What is UI design? So we think about UX research that's really focusing on understanding the human. How are they interacting with the experience? What are their pain points? What is that day-to-day so that they are taking all of that information and informing the UX designer of how to actually architect that experience and come up with a solution based on the research and the insights that they discovered. And then from UX design, they're deeply understanding the human being, thinking about things like human factors and behavioral economics and really diving into like, how do you persuade someone to get to the next point in the flow, if you know, maybe there's like a lot of cognitive overload, there's a lot of information on the screen, what's that next step? So maybe it's just, you know, using a bigger button or something like that. And it's really about information and how it's placed. That transitions over into the UI designer, which again, UI user, they really need to deeply understand the human being specifically around the visual and interface side of things. So they're taking what a UX designer has and how they've architected that experience, what that flow is, and then bringing that to that next level and saying, you know, what does this visually look like? And thinking about incorporating the brand and the human needs in a way that the user at the end of the day, once they get the final app or the game or software of any sort, they're like, wow, this feels amazing. And it's all of those pieces that come together to have something that visually looks amazing, but also has that feeling that you would end up getting from the UX side of things. Do I understand this correctly? If I have to put this into sequence, it starts with UX research. Then you have the UX design, like translating a bit like all these insights into well, actionables and intentions. It could be, I don't know, like mock-up and flows. And at last, it's like, how do you like the interaction with player or user uh, visually to convey the intention as a designer? Is this correct saying things like that or am I missing something? Yeah, no, I think that's a great way to package it. And there's a lot of this back and forth too, because even during the UX design process, there's oftentimes where, as we mentioned earlier, if you have a prototype or even like a new wireframe or an information architecture that you're trying to test, 
that's a lot of back and forth with UX research to come up with new methods to be able to test those depending on the constraints that you have time-wise. Same thing with UI and UX design. There's a lot of back and forth there too. But I would say like overall, that's typically the process that you would end up seeing if you needed to get something out the door quicker. You would be like, yeah, UX research, UX design, and then UI design. And with uh, workflow, it makes a lot of sense to me when you're building a product like more uh, as an app, you know, a software. And I wonder then in the whole uh, complexity of games, uh, you have uh, very involved sometimes UI artists. Is it the same as what we call here UI designer and a game designer? How do they fit in this whole workflow, especially based on your experience in your previous companies at Big Fish or GSN? Yeah, that's a great question. And this is something that... We never really optimized for at either GSN or Big Fish Games. We started to a little bit at Big Fish to speak to what we found that did work in that case. We were in an innovation lab within Big Fish Games, and we had the privilege of having a UX design team that we were starting to build up within that lab. And with that team, we did work very closely with player research, which that was a centralized repository. So they were managing I think, 600 games. And so it was like, okay, well, where can we actually flag where we want to get research in? And when it comes to our interaction with game design, it was oftentimes game designers that had the overarching vision for the game. They knew what the story was. They knew from the business directive, they would be like, okay, well, These are the different types of features and mechanics that need to go into this experience. So they were really crafting what does you know the balancing look like for the game, the overall system for the game look like. And oftentimes UX design was brought in to ensure that that was actually usable or actually met the vision and the goal from the game designer. So it was a lot of this back and forth between game design, UX design, and UX research just to ensure that that vision was solid and also usable. Oftentimes, we would also be brought in for testing the onboarding experience and making sure the first-time user experience actually taught those core mechanics so that the players could move on to the core loop and actually start you know, mastering the game or moving into different progression paths. When it comes to UI design, we did also have like UI designers, but then we did separate those a little bit and have those more as UI artists. When we talk about UI artists, what I found specifically within Big Fish is that they do have a background more in game art. And when they come up with buttons and UI elements, they're beautiful, but they don't necessarily know best where to place those from a human factors perspective. So oftentimes there was a lot of back and forth between UX design and UI artists to say, hey, this button needs to be a little bit bigger or this is in the way of a user or a player's engagement with the core loop. And so there was a lot of this back and forth of how do we best optimize some of those elements for engagement or for usability. And then the UI artist would polish that up, make it feel like it's on brand and then you go out the door at that point. I think you touched on an important point with the nuance between a UI designer and UI artist, because I am also very confused about that when I start to hire, for example, on a UI position. And also that was also a challenge in our team. Like we end up finding UI artists, but had less experience and understanding about, you know, functionality or human interactions and so on. And because we're a small and lean team, we realized that we were actually looking more for UI designer than UI artist. But for a long time, I, I believe it was the same, you know, and you are confirming here that it is not exactly the same. 
I have had this debate quite a few times about when to start to think about UX or when to integrate it. And I'm more advocate of the start, but I heard arguments as well, like only if you have a product that works or start to scale or when you grow the team. And with the philosophy you have at Stolston and your own as well, of course, experience, what do you think about that? Yeah, and I think this is something that I noticed quite a bit within the gaming industry that UX is brought in at the end. And it's typically when something's broken and they've tried everything else and it doesn't work. Like I still have this quote that I love just keeping around from Big Fish. That was like, just UX it. And as a UX <laughs> team, we're like, what, is, what does that mean? What do you do? And, or you start looking at job titles for UX UI designers and it's like, yeah, you know, can you do all of the early research and then do the design solutions and then maybe develop it as well? I'm like, so you just want someone that like fixes everything. And that's oftentimes the case and kind of this pressure that's put on a lot of UX designers, both in the gaming industry and even outside the gaming industry, is that there's this expectation that they're going to be able to fix everything, but there's not a lot of understanding of what UX actually is within the company. So the company is putting a lot of pressure on things that need to get done right now, and they want to see the output immediately, but they don't necessarily understand that for the actual UX design process, there's a lot of these things that happen behind the scenes of doing research, really understanding who users are, doing interviews, doing focus groups, testing different wireframe hypotheses. That does take time. And oftentimes, UX designers are not given that time because the business wants to see output. They want to see things you know, going out and doing more A-B testing. So that's something that I've noticed both at Big Fish as well as GSN and a lot of the individuals that I've talked to, like a lot of you know old friends as well, where... A-B testing is the testing that you do within the gaming industry. And that's typically once you already have a prototype. And it's something that's typically already developed as well. So that means that a lot of companies are using their development cost as the research budget. So when we think about a game that you've developed, and let's say even if it's like an MVP or minimum viable product, you have a game prototype that's really lightweight. But to get to that point, you've already gone through let's say a game designer, you already gone through an artist for maybe like basic level visuals. You've already gone through, maybe there's like, I don't know, a level designer or economy designer to make sure that things are balanced appropriately. And you've had a development team that's developed this now. And maybe there's some marketing to get it out. And then you incorporate testing at that point. So like what we had talked about before as that process of UX research, UX design, UI design, now you have UX design at the end, after you've already spent this money for all of these other individuals and all these disciplines to develop this prototype, and then maybe it's like the core mechanic in the game doesn't make any sense and it doesn't work. Okay, now let's go back to square one and then develop a full other prototype. And you start to see how this is really cumbersome and it actually creates a lot more time and costs the business so much more. So if you start planning a little bit further ahead and bringing in UX design before starting into those initial prototypes, you're going to save a lot of cost at the end of the day. And that's good to clarify it. Uh, that was also my initial thinking when I started to talk to you because I was like really uh, torn in this situation where, okay, I don't have a tangible ROI of this investment to say, but on the principal level with what all you explain makes more sense and it's more cost effective in the long term for this reason. So I find it really, really hard to find adequate UX designers in the gaming industry where I found many in apps, 
What do you think about this challenge and how are you tackling it as you need to grow your own team? It's something that I've noticed, especially in the last maybe even three to four years, where the industry itself has gotten really diluted because UX has become this big hit thing of like everyone needs a UX designer and it pays really, really well. So all of a sudden, all these boot camps started to show up and everyone was trying to become a UX designer. The challenge with that is that a lot of these boot camps are showing like very quickly, how do you go through the process? And they're really just teaching you the process, but they're not teaching you that human side of things. So again, if we go back to kind of U and X, they're teaching you the X side of things. They're teaching you how to architect experiences, but they're not giving you the tools to be able to deeply understand who is the person that I'm designing this for. So oftentimes there's designers that they have a task and they get to that task and they are just like, okay, I'm going to jump directly into wireframing. Or maybe they'll do like some ideation workshops within the studio. Maybe they do some early prototype testing but it's not based on human psychology. It can help, but oftentimes that's where you have that disconnect and it's not helping as much as a actual trained UX designer would be. Someone coming from human factors or human computer interaction or really any of the social sciences really thinking about who are people and how do people work. So that is a big challenge that I'm facing when hiring my own team. I've been trying to hire a UX designer for the last year and a half. And this is something that just through conversations, like they'll get close, but there's a lot of individuals that are still lacking in that experience. And part of that is because they don't have the experience in the industry because a lot of businesses are, again, they're saying bringing UX in right at the end. And a lot of UX designers don't have the opportunity to even have that experience, which is really unfortunate. I think within gaming, it's especially challenging because... The gaming industry is like this bubble. And I'm really fortunate that very early on, like I got a degree in computer science with a focus in game design, and that allowed me to kind of get into that bubble a little bit early on. But talking with UX designers outside of the industry, the gaming industry is this magical, wonderful place that they're like, well, I don't know, like that sounds amazing to work on games, but I don't even know where to start. And it seems really complex. And so they don't even try. Like there's a lot of UX designers that, don't even try to get into the gaming industry because it seems so foreign to them. They don't see it as a mobile app, right? Like we think about idle clickers. It's like, okay, that versus a Notion as a to-do app. I'm like, Notion's so much more complex than an idle clicker. Like, I think you can <laughs> do that. But there's not a lot of open doors for a lot of UX designers. So I think that's the other challenge that you end up facing in hiring a UX designer from the industry. And there's also that internal conflict that we kind of touched on a little bit before between game design and UX design. And what are those roles and making sure that that's very clearly defined on your team before bringing in a UX designer. I've had that experience at both GSN and Big Fish, where coming onto a team, I had to go above and beyond to build an alliance with the game designer to make sure that we had clear communication and have, we had clear clear requirements on both sides so that we weren't stepping on each other's toes. Yeah, I think that's a challenge as well, like really an alignment on the leadership level. Like, why are you bringing in UX at which stage and, you know, making sure that the rest of the organization is aligned so, you know, the expectations are in the right place. Otherwise, it's, there's this opposite force that is happening and shouldn't be there because for me, it's a collaborative work rather than UX versus mm -hmm. <laughs> design. But I've seen this dynamic quite a lot in previous companies where 
user research department and UX were really like advocating for what they believe in. And we should be all player centric in what we're doing, but we just have a different door maybe to access it. And then we learn from each other through different perspectives to get to the best solution. But it will take some time. For me, I'm curious, actually, how does someone get into UX in the first place? What is the kind of background studies you do and how suddenly you find yourself to be a UX designer on the app or uh, what was the motivation for you to get into this path? How did you end up in the first job and then later in games? So I think I have a pretty standard path into UX in many ways, just based on going from computer science into UX. Like that is actually a very, very common transition. I would say where my journey is a little bit more unique is that element of game design. So I have always been motivated by designing and crafting heartfelt experiences. And I had some of those moments within university where I got to test prototypes where it's like black screen and you have like a box and you're moving it around on screen and you're testing that prototype and getting people's reactions to that. I was like, oh, I want more of this. Like, I want to see how bare bones can I make something and actually get some feedback from someone. So I kind of honestly fell into UX a little bit outside of school just based on my network. That I would say is like the biggest thing that really helped me is networking overall. So that first job in, it was like a UX UI position. As we've (laughs) talked about, it's very common. And there I really got some insight into what is UI design within apps. And so I got to work with UI designers that were very pixel perfect and you know everything was to iOS standards. And then I got to dabble a little bit into UX design. And from there, I still had this passion about immersive experiences, heartfelt experiences, wanted to get back into games. And again, network connection, that's how I ended up getting into GSN games. And at that time, GSN games was, I think there were about 40 people at that point. They still had this startup mentality. So a lot of it was very much like, you know, how do we build prototypes, test prototypes, things like that. And I was brought in as a product specialist. Mm -hmm. They didn't even really know what to call me at that point, but I was still (laughs) very human centered. I wanted to help build out the product. I was reporting to the product manager. So I just kind of got hired there and they didn't really know quite what to do with me. But from there, I really defined what UX design was at that company. And GSN being owned by Sony also had quite a bit of backing to be able to support me going in and getting certifications in customer success and user experience design and information architecture. I really started to dive into that interest and that curiosity around UX design And from there, that's really what propelled me into moving up to Seattle and working at Big Fish Games. Because that's where, you know, I got poached basically in some ways off of LinkedIn. And they wanted to start building out that UX team up in Seattle. So that's, again, just showing that passion and that interest for human beings and that actual experience of designing and crafting games. That's what led me to actually really start, I would say, like the biggest growth within my career. Mm-hmm. And something worth mentioning is that you joined company at quite early stage of their UX department building and especially at GSN, like now quite big company when they were 40. It was quite visionary at that time that they knew that they would need someone with a profile even if it didn't know how to label you. Okay, this is something that we really want to cover early days and same as well for Big Fish as they were building their team. So it's amazing again to say that it happens only if the leadership is uh, putting priority into UX mm-hmm. and then building the proper organization and structure to support it. And that's how you could uh, thrive as well in those organizations, advocating for UX. And so 
as you have had your experience in the game companies, uh, there's a lot of passion you can put into a game. It's very personal. It's very specific and so on. You know, there's direct interaction with players. Well, three years ago, you decided to make the move to Solston. Why did it feel like the right move for you at this point of your career? So what I was noticing within GSN games, as well as Big Fish games, and really anyone that I was talking to outside of those teams, is I was noticing a lot of, especially free-to-play, was really focusing on what is the bottom dollar. They just wanted to know, like, how do we make more money from whales? How do we get spenders to, to spend more? And there just seemed to be this overall lack of empathy with players and just people as like human beings. And I know that wasn't their intention, but I also know that they're trying to run a business. So oftentimes as the UX designer on the team, I was working with like player services or customer support or even marketing and just trying to like raise my hand and say like, Hey, can we really think about the players here? And sometimes they listen if they have the budget and the space for it. But oftentimes it was like, well, let's just keep moving forward and let's just keep making changes based on what we know. And, you know, there's a lot of copycats and things happening at that point in time. Where Solston was like absolutely perfect at that point was giving companies and giving those teams the data and the information to really empower them to go to the business and say, this is going to work or this is not going to work. And here's the ROI of that. So trying to translate this understanding of human beings into something that's actually a business metric and in line with what the business stakeholders are thinking about, that's where I was like, this would be amazing in my day-to-day. And really what I love to do is really empower game designers to actualize their vision. Like Some of these ideas that game designers have, I'm like, that's brilliant. Wait, how do we do that? And how do we justify that this is actually going to meet the business's needs? Because oftentimes you have these design directives that come down from a studio head that's like, I paid money in this game. We should add this feature to the game that just completely destroys the vision. So I really, really deeply want to empower game designers to be able to advocate for their ideas and also to be able to support their players' needs. Uh, that's a great driver and motivation. And the way I see it, like for this choice, it is a way indirectly to ensure your missions that, you know, you cover teams and not just the team you are working in can deliver this heartfelt experience on a bigger scale, right? So it's all about how can you use your skills, your experience, your vision with the biggest impact. And I can tell for sure joining Solstern with the mission they have, like working with the biggest companies, game developers, where this way of thinking and this attention to players, this human-centric uh, ex- experience will have a bigger impact than what probably you have done just on a game or in a company. Mm. When it comes to UX and how you develop in your career, how do you keep developing this craft, which for me evolves as humans evolve? What are your tools to stay on top of a UX You hit it on the head on that one, which humans evolve, right? That's something where I'm constantly looking at articles around human factors, psychology. What's what's the latest and greatest? Because we're constantly learning all the time. So I'm also oftentimes going into UX resources like Nielsen Norman Group and also reading articles on Medium or maybe even taking a couple classes occasionally on Coursera, even just to refresh on what are different methods and different ways to approach different problems. There's quite a few UX conferences that have been popping up. I know it's been a little bit challenging and different the last couple of years, but I know one that Celia Hodent started, the UX and Games conference, that's actually kind of what connected a lot of things for me. And that's what really drove me more towards investigating UX design and human factors. There's also Nielsen Norman Group and Human Factors International, IDEO, Cooper U, all of them provide certifications. 
So that could be something to dive into as well. And usually like I'll try to grab those whenever they're available as well. Sounds great. This is another misconception as I've been talking to many UX designers that they look into a lot game design, you know, game specific design. And I think there's a big, big part that is especially involve your thinking, be critical how to adapt design is uh, human psychology, social dynamics in the world. We're living like all these, you know, complex factors that play in human behavior. But I think it's overlooked uh, when we think about UX design, where there's a lot of focus on what already exists, you know, instead of being a bit ahead of what are the future trends and things to look out for when thinking of design and the human interactions. And I have a few last questions, more on a reflection as well on your own journey as a UX lead. First question is, with all your experience, can you tell what was a significant event in your life that really shaped the way you are today and the choice you're making today? There's a few that come to mind. I think the biggest one was working on Social Casino. It was to the point where I was very close with the player support team. And I remember one time him telling me that there was this lady that messaged him and she had spent all of her husband's savings, which was approximately $50,000 <laughs> on a social casino game. You can't cash this out. And she was just pleading for help. And I remember like he was trying to do everything that he could to support her. He was talking to everyone within the team. And I was like, that was that moment that for me, I realized that I'm like every day I was morally feeling like shit because I know that I was basically stealing money from old ladies that had a gambling addiction. They live between paychecks and this is how they find their fun, which I think is great. Like, I think there is a lot of value that can be had with slot machines and social casino, but just the way that we were going about it was not the right way. And I really, really deeply wanted to help her. I didn't know how to help. I didn't really have a lot of awareness of human factors or UX design at that point in time. And I started interviewing outside of the gaming industry. I was like, well, if this is what the gaming industry is like, I don't want to be here. So I started interviewing, I mean, I have a passion about cars. So I was like, well, I'm going to start interviewing at Ford or maybe like other startups and nothing really felt right. And they felt really slow as you guys are probably familiar. Like the automotive industry is very slow, but there's also a lot of safety that goes behind everything, which is great. But I'm like, I love this innovation and this passion for building these really immersive experiences. So I was like, okay, well, well now what do I do? And I think that was that deciding point for me of really diving deep into UX design and really being that advocate for the player. And how do I be that partner for game designers to make sure that the player's needs are also met? Yeah, very touching and gives a lot of reflection with the anecdote because uh, I think this is a dilemma. You know, there's the business needs to say, where do you cross the line of where you know morally that people are not in charge anymore and they are more of a product of a lot of conditioned behavior that I created in the game and the situation of a woman. So it's all at the end of the day, a bit of soul searching and how we position ourselves of what we do and why and what line do we cross? Because it can be used when you understand uh, human behavior, you know, not so, I would say, ethical purpose because it's quite powerful. And we have seen a lot, uh, not just in games, but, you know, in business, it's manipulation techniques to, you know, make people do something. It's not to say that it's inherently bad, but as you have this power, ask ourselves the questions, why are we doing this and for who, you know, with which purpose all the time. Okay. And I do have a last question then on a reflection point because, yeah, you have quite a rich career as well working in games and, uh, of course, very consistent in UX and now exciting journey at Solston. If you had to look back on your early self in your 20s, what would you tell her with the experience or the mindset you have today? 
I think the biggest thing for me, and not to say that I don't do this, but don't be afraid to try, especially when starting to learn a lot of these UX practices and methods. I did all these workshops. I did all the things that I was supposed to do, I guess. And I even got to the point that I presented that back to the team and everyone in the company loved it. I actually got a lot of really, really positive feedback. I guess it was like imposter syndrome, even at that point where it was like, well, I've never done this before. What happens if this doesn't work? And I started to get into my own way and started getting to these like negative self-talk loops. And at that point in time, like I really would have pushed myself of go build personas for your game. What is that going to hurt? So I think just especially early in the career, don't be afraid to try and fail, especially when it comes to UX design. Yeah. And I've heard that from many women I interviewed, actually. Uh, it's kind of the same theme, like uh, confidence. We lack a lot of confidence early in our career. And there's only one way is just to throw yourself uh, early and then you learn quickly and then you build confidence, actually, from mistakes as well. All right. So we're reaching the end here and I have three rapid fire questions. So you don't know about them. And the idea is to answer as quick as possible what's in your mind. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Okay. So my first question is what keeps you awake at night? Players being unhappy or people being unhappy. Second question. What's your dream vision? Like uh, imagine in 10 years, you know, whether professionally or personally, the thing, you know, that makes you wake up every day. Balance. So balance in my own life between hobbies and passions and work, but also for individuals. So they're not addicted to things like shopping or playing games or whatever that ends up being. They actually have valuable experiences, everything from what do they use in the morning when they wake up to what do they go to bed with? And at last, what is your motto in life? Oh, that's a good question. To build long lasting connections. All right. Oh, thanks a lot, Devon, for the discussion today. I'm uh, really happy like we refresh all the knowledge on UX and I hope it will be concrete actionables for a lot of the listeners and uh, better hiring also in UX or, you know, growing people in UX in the industry. So thanks a lot. I enjoyed a lot the talk today. Thank you so much, Sophie. This was such a pleasure. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this new episode of Raise and Play podcast. If you enjoyed the content and want to support what we're doing, rate and review the podcast, spread the word about it. If you'd like to contribute to the change too, reach out to me on LinkedIn for a collaboration. You'll find all the rest of the content on riseandplay.io, including my free masterclass on conscious leadership, how to hire a team with a vision, or how to lead and build a team for the long-term game. Until the next time, 